recessions, uh, you know, COVID, uh, the various downturns. And what always got us through it was just a group of people who cared about one another and who worked hard and who trusted one another. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, disruption, innovation, audio, I guess. We're here Thursday of Super Bowl week in Phoenix, Arizona on Radio Row. I'm Joe Favorito along with Scott Rosner. Scott, here we go again. Absolutely. Very, very excited for day three of our four days here on Radio Row. Uh, you know, it's funny. As the week goes on, this is always the case. Things pick up. Yeah. More and more energy earlier and earlier in the, the day. Guests game, the guests game keeps rising. <laughs> right. So. I mean, so this morning we've already, you know, as you're, you see the people who now, you don't have to be a hardcore football fan to, to know, right? right. So, and that's one of our guests, as a matter of fact. <laughs> right. So, you know, from, from Coach yeah. Prime, yeah. right, yeah. Uh, to Gronk, to yeah. Emmett Smith. You know, the, the ones that the more casual football fan uh, would, players, the, the more casual football fan would recognize. Um, but on the other hand, right? The people who put together the sausage that got us here and put the pieces together, and that's one of our guests is, talk about pioneer, but um, a little bit of a visionary and a guy who loved to have fun in his business. So why don't you do a little intro, Scott, and we can get rolling. Absolutely. Very ple- very much our, our honor to have Jeff Smolian on as a guest with us this morning, our first guest of the day. Um, and Jeff's background is, is uh, he'll get, I'll let him get into it and explain it, but uh, really, as Joe, as you mentioned, a pioneer, a visionary, um, and, you know, could you have ever envisioned something like this kind of right. thing? Yeah. Uh, back in the day. An so, owner, by the way, an owner. We'll touch and, a little bit on absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Former owner of the Seattle Mariners um, for uh, for a period in the in the late 80s, early 90s, um, back in the Kingdom era. Yep. Yep. Um, and so uh, welcome to the show, Jeff. I, it's my pleasure. This has been fun. This is my first visit to Radio Row. Wow. And it's marvelous to me. I When I think about starting WFAN in 1987 and how everybody looked at it and said, this ain't never going to work. <laughs> and now to see this, it just—I marvel. I absolutely marvel. I mean, look what you've created. Yeah. Right? And well, you know, and a lot of a lot of people created it, but um, you know, I have a I have a, fav- I have a favorite saying. It's in the book. The line between being a genius and an idiot is very fine. And I've been on both sides. Mm-hmm. So I have one chapter, idiot to genius, and that's the WFAN chapter. Mm-hmm. And when I wanted to do it, I had always I had an idea to do sports radio when I was in college at USC. Um, and it was sort of the back of my mind, and when we had an AM station in New York, WHN, I said to my managers, let's do this, and they all said, that's just done. We're not going to do that. And then the next day, they voted it down, and the next day they came in and said, look, we still think it's a stupid idea, but we owe you one, so let's do it. And we did it, and for the first 18 months, it was Smullyan's folly. Jim Lampley called it the Vietnam War of Emmis. Um, it, it lost record amounts of money. Um, I can remember when we bought the NBC stations and we had a chance to get yep. Don Imus and, I, and his agent and I met. And I said, let me see if I get this right. We have Don Imus, who's been in and out of rehab for the last five years. <laughs> we have the New York Mets baseball team, which by, by 1988 had record amounts of drug problems. And we had a, base, a radio station losing record amounts of money. 
I said, what could possibly go wrong if we put all this together? <laughs> but it all came together. We got Mike and the Mad Dog. Imus never had another problem in his life. Um, and so I went from idiot to genius, and, uh, and it was fun. And I'm just, I marvel at how big it's become. Very proud of it. So, um, Emma's Broadcasting yep. really kind of came out of a bunch of ideas that you had put together. Yep. Uh, walk us through that period, and then um, we, talk, we want to talk a lot more about FAN. Right. By the way, Scott, do you know the first voice on WFAN? Because I know exactly where I was when she came on. It was Susan Waldman. Susan Waldman. Right? And, so, you want to hear a Susan Waldman story? Sure. And then we'll get to the other stuff, too. Because in those days, I was a micromanager. Yeah. Uh, not always, but Susan went on as the first anchor, and I thought she was awful. Yeah, and I went to Rick Cummings, who was with me, we were first employee. We've been together over forty years. And I said, I just don't get it. And we put her out in the field, where she became the greatest field reporter ever. Yeah. When I was in baseball, I'll never forget. We were sitting in the press box one night, and I said, Susan, who do you think is the next great manager? Because we were getting ready to make a change, and she said, Buck Showalter. <laughs> so. On Susan's advice, we flew Buck Schultz. He had just been fired. It's one of the Yankees coaches. Flew him out to Seattle for an interview. George Steinbrenner reads a story in the paper that we're interviewing Buck Showalter, and he's going, why are they interviewing a guy I just hired? I just fired. What's wrong with this picture? Flew him back to New York, hired him as manager of the Yankees, and that's how Buck Showalter's managing career started. All from Susan Waldman talking in the press box. Once that, again, that talk about learning. I mean, how yeah. much more are we going to learn in the next 15 minutes? Yeah, so, so talk about kind of how your business came about when you, your first kind of aha moment uh, after you got out of school. And, well, I, um, I came out of school. I always wanted to be a radio entrepreneur. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and I went to law school, got a degree, specialized in broadcast law. I was going to start a company out there. My dad convinced me to come back home. He had a cousin with a small radio station. He said, do me a favor. Come and, and where was this? Indianapolis. In Indianapolis. Right. Which is where you still are. I still are. Yeah. And, um, and I, he said, run it till you start your company. Um, I ran it. It's famous only because my midday guy I hired was David Letterman. Mm -hmm. We could talk about that. <laughs> um, and, then, and then started the company, and it was kind of a skyrocket. We mm -hmm. hit first station in Indianapolis, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Los Angeles. All just took off. Then we bought the AA stations. Then we bought the NBC stations, and in a space of you know seven eight years, we had we become like the largest privately owned radio company in America. I was incredibly proud of it, uh, and, and really because I the, the thing that and if you read the book, I hope mm -hmm. it comes through. Yep. It was the culture, the mm -hmm. relationship with the people. A lot of people who you know were very collaborative and had a lot of fun. Cool. You know, it's funny. So our Columbia Sports Management Program, yep. on whose podcast you're on now, um, as, as the de facto leader of, of that program, you know, and I've been here for five years, the yep. one thing I've focused on nonstop is culture. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Culture for that starts with our staff. Yeah. Um, you know, our front office, right, if you will. Yep. And then has to pervade through at all levels. Right. Absolutely right. And. Through the current students, the alumni, the yep. current students, prospective students, yep. right? When they're making their, when they get their acceptance letter, yep. within 24 hours they get a phone call from me. And right? I think that's, I them. cannot. Um, I, I listen. I've been, uh, I've been a trustee of my university for 20 years, and, and it's 
it's having that engagement, building that culture is the most important thing. Yeah, it is. And so, I mean, are you of the mind? I mean, it's the old, you know, culture beats strategy. Um, yeah, or not I think. It, I think. Well, I think you got to have both, uh, and you got to have luck and That's money. Pretty, money yeah, helps too. Money yeah, helps so, a little so. bit, but I think you know if if you can survive anything, if the culture's good, mm. um, you know, the thing I had most fun about writing the book was all the crazy times, uh, the recession, the you know, COVID, mm. uh, the various downturns. And what always got us through it was just a group of people who cared about one another mm. and who worked hard and who trusted one another. And I, I don't think, listen, I'm, I always said Emmis is a place where autocrats go to die. Mm-hmm. An autocrat at Emmis, is, it, it would never work. Yeah. But it was just always the fact that, you know, we had a group of great people that stuck together. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the, uh, and I would agree with you, I mean, you know, you think about you can get through anything. Yep. Right, the more difficult times, yep. uh, a pandemic, right? Yep. So, and we've seen this throughout our industry throughout business in general, yep. right? That if, if you didn't have the culture in place, you were in big trouble. I think that's uh, right. When it, when it struck, I think that's exactly right. So, the other side of the coin. Take us through the uh, the amazing two year run of the Seattle Mariners and how that came about. Well, you know, we had bought, we had done all these radio stations, and we were kind of marketing wizards, and we knew the Double Day people, so we got to know Major League Baseball people. And people said, "Boy, in Seattle, they need somebody to turn around the Mariners." Uh, it's never made any money. It's never won at a winning season. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm a big anti-hubris guy. Mm-hmm. But I think a little hubris set in and said, well, yeah, we can do that. And mm-hmm. I think in retrospect, I think the best management we ever did was, was you know, was Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very proud of it. We really put together a wonderful group. But we just didn't have the kind of money. Uh, and I said that mm-hmm. the first day I got there. I right. said, you know, I joked later and I said to own a team in that era of baseball you really had to be a billionaire now if you owned the Dodgers or the Yankees and you had a paper route you were okay because the math worked in your favor but uh, and we got hit with the collusion payment Mm -hmm. uh, you know and uh, you know but I loved it we we made some great friends there I was incredibly proud of what we did but that's the chapter of the book Mm -hmm. genius idiot because I was the boy wonder everybody loved me and then when we threw our hands up everybody said you're a bum and that happens Mm -hmm. in life Mm-hmm. No, no question about it. So if we could, I, I want to stick for a second because yeah. as someone who's been teaching, uh, you know, about the sports industry for, yeah. for 25 years, yeah. um, actually have a segment of, of one of our courses yeah. uh, called ownership. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Really focus on owners, right? Yeah. Uh, and why individuals own, right. why, uh, why corporations own yeah. teams uh, and invest. And obviously that model has changed now. Well, it, yeah, and we talk about that in the book. It has changed because you've, and I, I have just said there's three reasons why it changed. Number one, it changed because media changed, the regionalization of sports, the incredible impact of sports vis-a-vis everything else. The, the sort of the, cul- the corporate mentality where corporations buy suites and signage and tickets. The most important reason to change is we've created about a thousand billionaires in this country. Mm-hmm. And 40 years ago, we probably had 50 billionaires. And they have just bid up assets to the point, you know, I think the Phoenix Suns sold for $4 billion and the franchise maybe made $30 million. So it's out of whack to any form of math. But when a guy says, I don't care, I'm worth $10 billion, what do I care if I overpay by a billion and a half dollars? It's like buying art. So that's really changed the mindset of sports a lot. Uh, Jeff, I know we don't have that much time left, but what, when you look ahead of now, we'll talk about, uh, we'll, 
pu- obviously push the book at the end, but yeah. what are the things today that surprise you? If there are one or two things that stood out when you look around this place, when you look at ownership and all the places you've touched, the futurist in you, uh, what are the things that you're looking at that you think are amazing and have yet to grow or are about to grow? Well, the fragmentation of everything. You know, I grew up in an era where you had three TV stations in town and seven radio stations. Mm-hmm. And today you have, you know, myriad choices. It's clearly affected the, the economics of the industry. It's affected radio, it's TV. You know, what's fascinating to me about some of the streaming things is that not many, I don't know anybody who's made money streaming audio. Mm-hmm. You know, Spotify has a $50 billion mm-hmm. market cap, but every every quarter they report losses. And I've seen that over and over again. So we used to say, you know, you, your, your viable business model may be replaced by something that isn't a viable business model. It may be a hobby, but you're still dead. Um, you know, we see with podcasting, where podcasting is the hottest buzzword. Now we're going into the metaverse. I mean, you're on one. I know, <laughs> and I know that. And, I, and, 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 you know, and I think, so there's a lot of things that have a lot of cachet, whether they have economic viable models or not. That's the question. And, and that is the question. And so, you know, going back to the Mariner's days, but certainly, you know, as as a media, someone who made his his right. living in media, yeah. Obviously, we're at a at a really crucial moment, yeah, for the regional sports network model, right, right, right. Again, we'll we'll ask you to put your your visionary hat yeah. on. What does that look like going forward? I I have given this example for years, and I've spent a lot of time on this. I actually, spent a lot of time with my university on the whole Pac-12, mm-hmm. Big Ten issue. Uh, I, the best way to describe sports in America is through the eyes of an 85-year-old grandmother who lives in Pasadena. She's had cable for years. She's spending $10 a month for ESPN and $6 a month for the Dodgers and $5 a month for the Lakers and $4 a month for the Angels. So at the end of the day, she's spending $30 a month for sports. And she doesn't know the Dodgers left Brooklyn. <laughs> and that, that is really the heart of it, is that 100% of the population have paid for what 30% of the population cares passionately about. The question is, and you're seeing it obviously with Sinclair and Valley, um, is that as those people either die out or younger people don't get the bundle, that all of a sudden the sports model is challenged. That 100%, I always said, this is the greatest cross-subsidy in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, people are paying for what they don't watch. Uh, and in the early days, when they didn't pay for the over-the-air TV, they were not paying for what they did watch. Mm-hmm. But the question is, where does it land? The problem is, how do you, how do you take 100% of the population that's paying six dollars a month, and 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 now translate that down to thirty percent of the population. What will they pay? Will they pay twenty dollars a month? I'm an Indiana Pacers fan, so would I will I pay twenty dollars a month to watch the Pacers on direct streaming? Yes, but the problem is the take rates are not that great, mm-hmm. and that that is the real question. The book is never ride a roller coaster upside down. Yeah. Jeff Smullyan. Scott, you have one more question you want to kind of get us before we I, have I to I have about 75 more questions, and he'll be quite back. frankly, um, that, that we could get to. This. We'll leave it on more of a lighthearted note. So USC, yes. right, right. Is, your, is your alma mater yes. and, and uh, an institution that you've been deeply embedded with. Yep. Um, great athletic director, right? Love Mike. Inspired Love Mike. hire. Yep. Inspired Love hire from Mike. Cincinnati. Um, yep. What are your thoughts on the future of... 
now in, in, in of USC athletics in yeah. the Big Ten conference. Yeah. And where does that leave the Pac-12 take going forward? Well, and I spent a lot of time on this. And the mission was, how do we fix the Pac-12? And if we can't fix the Pac-12, what do we do? The obvious answer is the Big Ten. The problem is you're, you're really getting into a two-tier system. Uh, and I don't want to bore you, but if the NFL gets $15 billion a year and college football is getting three, and college football has the second greatest amount of preference among sports fans, with about 20% to the NFL 75%. The economic model would be college football should get eight or nine billion dollars a year. Correct. The problem is it was balkanized. Mm -hmm. Now you're settling into really a two-tier system with the Big Ten and the SEC, and I think you will see those two conferences capture a lot more dollars with the expanded playoffs. The other conferences will be in the playoffs and that. But it will definitely be two tiers. Yeah, and football obviously drives the bus. I mean, there's there's, 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 there's no defense or butts about it. Yeah. Last question for me, yeah, I promise. Sure. Okay. Um, how'd you come up with the title for the book? Because my life has been a roller coaster ride. I've always I've said everybody's life's a roller coaster ride. I've done so many crazy things that I wrote it upside down, and that was it. Came to me one day, and I went, you know what? That's that's it. Cool. Amazing. Um, last one for me. The thing that you really, when you look back on your career, and it's yeah. obviously not over, the thing that gives you the biggest wow factor even today? Well, the wow, I mean, you know, you could say starting sports radio or being, you know, in really inventing hip-hop radio. The wow factor to me is the people, mm -hmm. the relationships with the people. It's always the people. The friends I've made, the people I've worked with, uh, you know, it's the journey. Listen, I've been, I have a favorite saying, if any one of ten things that happened, my company would be a hundred times bigger. If any one of ten other things that happened, I'd be sweeping streets somewhere. Mm. But I've loved it, and I've had fun, and I've done it with people I love. And thanks for showing up, Jeff. We appreciate you joining us. This is great. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so as we finish, we know you're a busy guy and making the rounds here on Radio this Row. Is fun. Um, no, it's been it's been a lot of fun for us, and, and really an honor uh, to have you on the on the Columbia University Sports Management Podcast with us, the Cusp Show, um, which. By the way, in terms of listenership, doesn't threaten I and wouldn't threaten Emmis in any way, I, shape, I or form back in the day. But we have great culture and people. We have I great understand. culture and people, and it's smart podcasting, right? Or at least what we where, think. Is where are you guys located? Uh, Columbia University in New York City. No, I mean, I know, I know, I, 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 know, I, know, I, know, I mean, it's in Manhattan guys, on the no, Upper, I, West I, Upper West Side. I know, I know that. I mean, are you, I mean, do you do it from the campus? Oh, yeah. We do it right on campus. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah no, right I, campus. I do know Columbia. I know it. It's a great place. It's a great place. Fantastic place. I'm very fortunate to be doing so you do uh, right on the campus. what we yeah. do. Yeah, what we do, where we do it. That's for sure. Cool. So once again, you've been listening to The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito, along with Scott Rosner. We will see you down the road. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.